Hello, you're very welcome to The Week That Really Was with John McGurk and Sarah Ryan. It is 13th of July, uh, 2023. It is a wet and damp July evening as we're recording this. Um, it's been a busy week. We've had lots happening this week. Orte have been on trial. Uh, Ryan Tuberty has been canonising himself in an appearance before the Oireachtas Committee in which he said, amongst other things, that all he wanted was for the children of Ireland to be happy. That performance didn't necessarily go down well um, with a lot of people. Um, and the Orte saga has rolled on. But we've talked about RTE for the last two weeks on this show. And we might do something a little bit different today because we are going to be joined by a very special guest. Um, we're often told on this show that we don't we agree with each other too often. Um, and so I wanted to bring in somebody who disagrees with us probably on a lot. Uh, he's somebody who I have great respect for. He actually is a co-podcast host. He does his own podcast, the Here's How podcast which you can find at www.hereshow.ie and has a new episode out every Thursdays. That is Mr. William Campbell, to whom I will say hello in a second. But first, Sarah, how's your week? It's been good. I felt a bit sorry for Ryan Torbidi at a couple of moments. I'm sorry, but I'm human. Um, but uh, I um, no, it's been good. I just was struck by, I, I, I said to my dad the other day, I said, talk about a week is a long time in politics because... Last week, I was saying, when the hate speech bill was kicked to touch, I said, isn't it great now, the Senate, like, th th that would have gone through without the Senate. I really, really think that the whole thing about the Senate has really sold itself. And then when I watched senators come in and ask questions of Ryan Torberty when they clearly hadn't read the brief, didn't know what they were talking about, and made, in many cases, tits of themselves, I thought, ah, burn it to the ground. You know what? I was, <laughs> I was wrong. I changed my mind again. Let it go. Just let it go. The quality oh. of the, the quality of the questioning is just it, it was oh my god! And if if they were asked a hundred times why the invoices change from one company to the other, um, that's an underestimate. I mean, there was the same question asked over and over again by people who clearly hadn't listened to the questions the person before yeah. them asked. It was it was embarrassing at times, and I'm sorry. And you I, know that the whole nation is watching. You know, like Iraqis. It was a Iraqis TV. Like it was it broke records. You know that everyone's tuned into this. They're playing this in pubs get your hair done or whatever, but read the stuff and come with your Uber Walia done. And like, don't make, this is what you're paid for. And you're A, not listening to the answers, not listening to questions other people are are, are asking. And all in all, just making the whole thing look mortifying on both sides. Yes. Oh. Yeah, it, it, was, it, it was, I thought it was very unedifying. I'm going to ask our yeah. guest though, uh, who I, I introduced <laughs> a few minutes ago, bring him in. William Campbell from the Here's How podcast. We are, first of all, honoured to have you with us. Uh, I've been on your show a couple of times. It's great to have you um, over here on the dark side. Mm -hmm. I'll, toss, I'll toss it over to you by asking, um, what's your broad impression of sort of the state of, you know, what we just talked about, politics in Ireland, the state of the country in 2023? You've probably a different, slightly different perspective to the one Sarah and I would bring. So, so you know, what do you think, what's your view yeah. of Ireland as it is at the moment? Um, well, to, to go for the very particular to start with, I couldn't agree with you more, Sarah, uh, about the Shannadair and I would absolutely burn it to the ground. I think it was an awful pity that referendum failed. And I think the salvaging of the Shannad was, was based on entirely on lies, not on misstatements. No, it was based on people knowing that what they were saying was untrue. You can tell that by the people who were saying 
almost in the same breath that they should make it both more and less democratic at the same time, that they should make it both more and less uh, representative of the general public at the same time, and that it should be made both more and less powerful at the same time. And those people knew what they were doing. And um, I haven't caught much of that. I don't spend all that much time watching Oroctus TV, I have to admit. Um, but I did see I if, yeah, I did see Imelda Munster, and I'm typically not a fan of a lot of Sinn Fein TDs, um, but she's absolutely an exception and she I think performed very well. And I hadn't really seen her perform at all previously, but on the basis of that alone, she was not like the the senators, I think that you mentioned there, Sarah. Um, she clearly was on top of her brief and knew when she was catching out um, uh, both um, your man, uh, Noel Kelly, I'm forgetting his, his name. Um, You're right, uh, Noel Kelly. Tuberty, yeah. Noel Kelly, is it? Yeah, uh, Tuberty's um, uh, uh, agent. And the real lie that I think the two of them were caught in was there, they were trying to go in and say, oh, nothing to do with us, Gov. This was a request from RTE to have the invoices not mention uh, Ryan Tuberty and to... I mean, this is, uh, I used the word in a private conversation during the week, money laundering, and I was kind of brought up, money laundering has a specific legal definition, mm. and I was using it in a more colloquial uh, fashion. But it is unquestionably, the purpose of that was to disguise and hide the flow of money and who was getting money from who. It was being run through Renault Ireland in order to disguise the fact that it was in every case a payment from RTE which is the taxpayer to Ryan Tuberty and to disguise the fact that he was being paid an awful lot more than yeah, people I, were I, I, you know than, than was being admitted publicly go on John. I, I, well I think the thing is here that we we all know I mean it's not disputed now I think that the purpose of the I don't know, you know I'm agreeing with you not pulling you up mm. but it's not disputed that the purpose, by anyone credible at least, that the purpose here was to conceal payments. The only thing that's really left in in dispute is who was responsible. Whose idea was that? And they're yeah, all and the, you can you can you can running. answer that by yeah you can answer that. I hate using Latin, but you can answer that with two Latin words: qui bono. Who is benefiting from this? And um, I have been on you know both sides of enough business to negotiations to know that it is not at all uncommon for someone to meet personally over coffee or drop into someone's office or to pick up the phone and have a verbal phone call and say, yeah, but you guys have to send us a letter that says X, Y, Z, and that has to come. And it'll be, you know, you on occasions will be careful enough to make sure that the paper trail starts with one party, not the other, when they are not necessarily the true uh, uh, progenitors of the of the actual idea and that that's a fairly common process and for them to say oh we have no idea you know we just did this because rte asked us to do it we have no idea why they said don't put ryan tuberty's uh, name on the invoice they knew damn well and i would be astonished if that particular request did not originate with ryan tuberty but you asked me a different question, which is about the general state of the country. And I didn't actually have it, but I was just preparing a while back for um, just really mentally. Um, you may or may not be familiar with a guy called um, Alexander Dugan, who is a an, a writer uh, it, who would be very much the 
popularizer of Putin. No, I absolutely would disagree that he is Putin's brain, but he is very influential um, in, in terms of popularizing ideas. I, he casts himself as a philosopher, uh, and I don't think that's I, I don't think that's that's uh, uh, credible. He, his ideas are pretty much all coming from um, uh, uh, a, a czarist uh, general called Ivan uh, uh, Ilin. Um, yeah, just just it, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you there to say to yeah. our, our listeners this this guy is he's a he's he's a basically a political writer sees himself as kind of or you know he's sort of portrayed in the West I think it's fair to say sometimes as kind of a Rasputin figure who is responsible for a lot of the uh, responsible for the being the intellectual architect. Yes, yes. I I, I dispute that he is responsible for the uh, intellectual architecture, but he is responsible for popularizing it. So his books uh, are are popularizing it, and they, uh, you know, they have a very what could perhaps be a very challenging worldview. And they say, you know, they absolutely reject democracy. This um, this worldview, which is around Putin, which is poorly understood in the West, and they absolutely reject democracy, and make it very difficult, I think, for some people to defend democracy because they reject the value of all of the benefits that it brings. And I was thinking, how do you do this? And, you know, how, how do you argue in the face of this, in the, uh, in favor of the Western democratic ideals? And the answer that I came up with was lists. And if you go onto Wikipedia, you can get them. There's quite a few of them out there, and they're usually done with quite a lot of rigor and the methodology is public and the the workings out are public. So it's not just somebody saying something off the top of their head. And there is the World Democracy Index, which basically analyzes about 200 different elements and sub-elements that indicate the health of a democracy and give countries scores on that basis. And uh, that creates a list. And there's the, the Human Development Index, and there's Education Quality Indexes, and there's Quality of Life Indexes, and there is Life Expectancy Indexes, and there are dozens of these. And the thing is, all of the lists are basically the same list. If you're more or less at the top of the democracy index, you will be more or less at the top of the life expectancy index, at the top of the wealth index, at the top of the education index. They all work together. So whoever is arguing against democracy needs to come up with some sort of explanation as to why they're doing that and what benefit they might be bringing to humanity and explain why democracy uh, would be, you know, you can argue causation, but would certainly be powerfully associated with an, you know, a sea change in terms of quality of life and, uh, and the, you know, all of those lists that measure the difference between us and, um, you know, people in the Middle Ages spending their short, miserable lives trying to scratch some food out of the dirt. That's what, what you know, that's the difference. Uh, so, and, my, and my, my final point on that is that for all of the morning, l- less than one half of 1% of the world's population lives in a country that has a better democracy than Ireland. Ireland's about number six or seven on the list. Uh, to put it in context, uh, the US and the UK are down in the 20s and so forth. Um, and uh, uh, Mr. Dugan uh, lives in a country about 140, uh, which is basically you know, within striking distance of the, the bottom of the bottom of the list. Um, and 
uh, on that basis, the people who say, oh, Ireland's shite, Ireland's no good, this kept. Yeah, you know, absolutely do everything you can. There are problems and do everything you can to fix those problems. But keep in mind, we're not doing that bad. And for every uh, thing wrong with the country, you can point to many, many other countries that are enormously worse off and would be only delighted to have our problems. Um, so that's my view. Well, I'm going to ask Sarah her opinion in a moment, but I think there's a lot to what you said. I would have one little nitpick with you, which is that sometimes I find when you look at th those kind of rankings, there is, mm -hmm. there is an inherent ideological bias in them in that the people who put them together rank you on things like, for example, a bugbear of mine, the state funding of NGOs. You know, oh, there's a you, we've got huge, hugely active civil society third sector involving lots of well-funded lobby groups on civil liberties and women's rights and traveler rights and minority rights and all the rest of it. Therefore, it's a democratically active society. Therefore, you go up the rankings. Um, and I think there's ideological bias in that because, in my view, a lot of those organisations actually serve to subvert true democracy by by influencing things at the top. That's that's my one instinctive quibble. You can tell me it's rubbish in a second, but Sarah, first of all, mm. does William have a point? Are we too negative in general about the state of the country? Is that an Irish problem? Mm, I think we can be, we can forget we're born a little bit, that's for sure. And we definitely have a quality of life that's up there and a standard and, 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 and certain things that are working extremely well and we do lose sight of that. But I think as well, like we also have, you know, part of the lifeblood of a good, strong democracy is the, you know, for want of a better word, the moaning and the thinking that things could be better and the arguing and debating about how things should and shouldn't work and what is and isn't working. And that's just the nature of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. even though things are great, we're still, you know, it's all relative. Like things are like Ireland is a good place to live. The the quality of the education is high. The life expectancy is high. The mater maternal death and maternal, the you know, maternity care in Ireland is is high. Like lots of things are really, really good. But at the same time, there are pockets of, of society um, whether it's you know in housing or whether it's in health or whether it's in just the the cultural you know change that's happening at the moment about the way the things you are and aren't allowed to say and the things that people are are concerned about isn't working very well and 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 maybe you know it's that Manslow's hierarchy of needs that you moan more about the tri these some of these things are trivial but they're that's because your basic needs are addressed mm -hmm. that doesn't apply to everyone of course but you know a lot of the the people who are are like us who are talking about, you know, like the, the, um, like things like the hate speech bill, like you don't give a shite about the hate speech, hate speech bill if you're homeless. Let's be honest. Like Correct. it doesn't even feature in your life. We're talking about it because we're not like, so all of the, these things are relative. I, I think it is an important point to make. And my dad says it to me all the time, whenever I write about anything that we are, like we are doing well as a country overall, but there are problems. And, you know, we're Irish and we, we're we're good at arguing about things. We're good at debating things. And, and I think that's, you know, part of our culture is to talk things out. But it's an important thing to remember that it's not all bad. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah I think um, it, it, let me come back to what John said about, the, you know, you have a particular bugbear about uh, NGOs and so forth. And that may or may not be measured in a couple of indexes. But the breadth of Ireland showing up 
like in the top 10 and not having very many significantly populated countries above us. It's, you know, countries, the only really large country that is even close to Ireland is Canada. Mostly it's New Zealand, uh, Taiwan and the Nordic countries. Um, but the, uh, the, I think the funding of NGOs doesn't, doesn't, um, show up a lot. I mean, the things that get a lot of weight are, can you vote? Can you vote freely? Can you set up a political party if you want to? Uh, will you be allowed to get, you know, on the ballot? Will you be allowed uh, on the public media? Do you get a, a fair crack of the whip uh, uh, in terms of publicity? Do, will you have your offices raided uh, by the police? Uh, um, will your vote be counted fairly? Those type of things uh, are what count for democracy. And um, clearly, things like life expectancy are far less manipulable uh, measures that's that's you know something, you know that, that's that's not something that you can that you can uh uh you know uh, short of outright lying that's something that, that you can manipulate very easily and um you get the odd outlier uh where for example cuba shows up quite well for uh infant mortality uh and and do very poorly and when i say quite well that's to say far better than most of uh, the Caribbean and Latin America. Um, the, like, yeah, yes, peer countries. Yes, which is a reasonable way to, to, to judge it. And you will have people who say, oh, kind of, um, this proves uh, what a you know, great country Cuba is. I went to Cuba and I got one thing in Cuba and I think everybody uh, in Cuba gets it. And the thing that you get is thin because yeah. there isn't a lot of food and they're appallingly bad at managing it. Cuba is very much like Ireland doubled. It's basically twice the area of Ireland and twice the population of Ireland. So that's like, a, it leaves an awful lot of space to grow anything you want in, in a climate that is even more amenable to agriculture than Ireland, warm and wet, like you, you can grow anything and to have people going hungry there is outrageous. Um, it, uh, they manage some things well. And, you know, Cuba at the time of the revolution was probably on the same level as Guatemala. Now to be uh, the average poor person in Cuba is probably a lot better than being the average poor person in Guatemala. But that's not anything for Ireland to aspire to, and um, the the I mean the point that I would make is that it is you know two things can be true at the same time. Complaining about the things that are wrong, of which there are many, as I think you said, Sarah, that's actually part of making them better, and it's part of our culture as well. But we shouldn't lose sight of the fact. Uh, and you get this often in this type of um, um, far right discourse of uh, um, of anti vaxxers and that that type of uh, um, fan clubs of various crackpots that I won't mention, um, who, who whose entire worldview seems to re revolve around an assertion uh, that we are, um, you know. One one Garda raid short of setting up a Gestapo and and uh, carting people off to off to uh, concentration camps when you know that just isn't true. But all for saying all of that, that's not an excuse not to improve things, and there is still plenty to improve. No question about that. I have to disagree slash challenge you. There, not necessarily disagree, but challenge in in one respect, which is that. Mm. 
Um, I think you're correct. Um, and I think Sarah's correct as well, that broadly speaking, Ireland is a good country. And I think your point about the democracy indices is well made. However, it strikes me that we are almost too blasé about that. Because if you're ranking a society on its openness, the ability to access the media, the ability to share your ideas, the ability to uh, form your own political parties and argue uh. free, freely, I would argue that Ireland is actively in reverse on those. I mean, maybe it hasn't showed up in the rankings yet, but if, if I told you, without naming the country, that a country uh. was introducing a law which, number one, told um, the state security services that everybody's everybody's mobile phone data had to be um, secured and monitored and detained for a full year by the companies providing that data in, in case the state wished to access it. If I told you that the parliament was debating a bill which allowed the uh, police to enter your home, seize all your devices on the suspicion and nothing more than the suspicion that you might have on those devices, something which um, the government considers to be hateful, even though it has not defined the word hate. Mm -hmm. um, and if I told you that the government was presently introducing a law to ban um, protest in something in the region of 25% of the area, central area of, the, of Dublin's capital, of, of its capital city, not Dublin, I'm kind mm -hmm. of on the game away there. And I asked you, is that country more likely to be the Republic of Ireland or Cuba? Being honest, uh, which country would you say is more likely to introduce those laws? Because I wouldn't have thought it would be the country at the top of the democracy indices. Sure, sure. And and we should uh, fight those vigorously. I would point out that you're saying is in the process of and, and so forth. And that those are things that uh, have not happened and may not. Um, but the, and, and, you know, I'm, not suggesting that that is uh, in any way a positive thing. We have a constitution which is supposed to be defended by the Supreme Court, and they do a variable job on that. It could be better, it could be worse. But we, you know, not a long time ago, we had in this country um, many people sentenced to long prison sentences for the crime of failing to account for their movements. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, the Constitution at the time, in theory, wasn't much different to what, what it is now, not in, in the respect that covers that in any case. Um, so, yeah, absolutely, there's threats to it. Um, um, we had a couple of years back a Supreme Court uh, decision dissented on by, I think, uh, Hardyman, but um, which essentially said that illegally obtained evidence could be used to convict someone in a court as long as the guardy thought that they were behaving yeah, is, legally and thing. yeah and and so so it's basically the you know like cross your fingers and promise um uh, test me in a court um and i think that our democracy should be set up for to withstand the most severe uh, tests and the most severe attack, and um, it, uh, there is a, a a strand of of opinion to say, uh, yeah, sure, you know, you've got to let them do that, and sure, they won't, you know, they won't go mad with it altogether, and that's to me, that's not good enough, and uh, just to to bring in maybe uh, again a, a slightly longer and broader view, Ireland came to be an independent democracy at more or less the same time as 
three other peripheral European countries that were highly agricultural and uh, suffered from, you know, a large amount of emigration, predominantly uh, uh, rural emigration. They were Greece, Spain, and Portugal. Mm-hmm. And of the four, democracy survived only in Ireland. And, uh, the, you know, all four are now, again, democracies and seem to be relatively stable. But the devastation that the loss of democracy that brought to those three countries cannot be overstated. And, you know, literally tens of thousands of people rounded up and shot in Spain. Many, many people uh, imprisoned for decades and and, uh, under, you know, torturous conditions for, for example, speaking their own language. Um, And the the, uh, generations lost that that caused. And that could have been us. That could very, very easily have been us. Uh, Common Gael could have said Devilair won the election. Well, yeah, you know, but we still control the army and the and and the and the Guardi, and uh, maybe a couple of dozen Fianna Fáil uh, TDs will be arrested on the way to the Dáil, and we'll pass an Emergency Powers Act, and and you know, and we could have so easily gone down the road to dictatorship, and we didn't. And it, I, I think. It's pure luck. It's nothing else. And the, uh, uh, we should not rely on luck. You know, we, I, I, um, agree with you. I think the, the, this, uh, hate speech bill is, is, is full of nonsense. It might be well intentioned nonsense, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Was it luck, Sarah, do you think? Or do you think there's something in Ireland that, that like, are, are we instinctively as a people sort of because uh, somebody made this point to me a couple of years ago and I thought it was a, it was a good one when they were talking about the reason which is a source of frustration to a lot of people there's the, and a sort of re- sort of relief no doubt to many others that there hasn't been the emergence in Ireland of a, a sort of right-wing populist party in the mold of what you see in Spain France Germany Sweden lots of other places um that Irish people are instinctively skeptical of extremism, which is why people for profit never get any more than two seats on the other side either. Is there something to that, or you know, is it just pure luck? Well, I I think there's probably it's a combination of two things. I think some of it's luck because, like, like you know, as you just said, like somebody could have decided on a whim to shoot someone at the wrong moment. You know what I mean? Like that. Like history is like, you know so kind of like dependent on who decided to do what at what time or whatever but i also think that there's a kind of a post-colonial kind of cultural element of of where people you know don't trust or or, are fearful of of certain types of of ideological positions and we definitely have that but uh, in saying that i'm not sure that and that's not because and this isn't because you know i don't consider myself to be far right by any stretch but um I'm not sure that having no uh, right-leaning or no right-wing parties has actually served us well in the last five years for certain, maybe 10, because ultimately you need both sides of the argument to pull it somewhere into the middle. And we haven't had that. And I think that the the political classes, like the hate speech bill is a demonstration of the fact that they've gotten pretty ballsy and no one ever disagrees with them because ultimately, you know, apart from tinkering around the edges on certain issues, they're all on the same page, whether they, whether we, whether that's true or not. And if there was an emergence of a kind of a right wing ide- ideology, and maybe they'd only get five or six seats or whatever, 
Um, I think it'd be good for Ireland. I think it'd be good for the debate. I think it'd be good for the discourse. I think it would pull things into the light that they're trying to hide. And I think it would, you know, ultimately, you know, make everybody up their game politically. And uh, mm. that wouldn't do us any harm right now. I um I want to move the conversation on a little bit to an, to another topic <clears throat> and specifically discuss it because I, I was struck. William, you, you you mentioned a few moments ago, um. Well, I think it's fair to describe as your antipathy towards what you describe as the far-right anti-vaxxers and all those people. Mm -hmm. and, and for the record, a, a lot of those people are antipathetic towards me because of my consistent writing that uh, I can't find any evidence the vaccines killed a single soul. But mm -hmm. let's um, let's put it in, 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 in sort of a, a different context, which is the context of the immigration debate in Ireland. Mm -hmm. Because to the extent that there is an emerging sort of and I'm, I'm I'm putting in far right and in inverted commas because I think the term is misused uh, in, yeah. in many in, on many occasions. But the extent that there is an inverted commas going far right, a lot of that I think is 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 class based rather than rather than ideologically based. I'm looking hey. at a, at a country where if you if you look at where the protests are happening, it happened in East Wall. There was one in Finglas. There's one in, I think in Ballyfermot. There is is one going on at the moment. I think in rural Clare. Mm -hmm. A lot a lot of what's happening in the country seems to me to be, um, in terms of where large groups of, of migrants, through no fault of the migrants' own, I want to emphasize this, that the, the last villains in this piece are the people being shunted into renovated hotels that have been closed for 20 years and then given a quick slap of paint and left to rot, which is what's happening. Mm -hmm. They're the last people to blame. But a political system that is moving large numbers of people, in many cases, young males with no jobs, nothing to do, into underpopulated rural towns and into, into deprived urban communities, seems to me to be doing its level best to politically empower the kind of people that you would rather not see empowered. Um, and, and, well, and, well, if, if they're doing their level best to empower, they're, 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 that best doesn't seem very good because, as you say, Ireland uh, uh, is uniquely not um, uh, the populist right or far right or whatever you want to call it uh, is uniquely weak in Ireland. So okay, but, but uh, I'll, stip I'll stipulate you that point that that there's no yeah. there's no electoral force at present. But uh, you know, I I definitely see out there um, a, a, a rise in attitudes towards immigration. That I think you would describe in some cases, and I think I think you'd be fair. You could be right to describe in some cases as occasionally ugly. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the conversations around invasions and so on. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think there's an increase in that. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day who uh, the last person I expected to say something like this to me, who said um, something along the lines of, "I'm in my local town and I don't recognise it anymore because of all the people um, dressed in a particular way." Um, yeah, yeah, that's and, that's carved and, in the pyramids, and, and, and that and that and that those kind of attitudes, I would argue, whether they're manifesting electorally or not, they're on the rise. And when those kind of attitudes are on the rise, that position that we don't have a, a, a an inverted commas far right party might not be the case in six or seven years. That's the point I'm making. Well, a we'll see. Uh, B um, in terms of uh, conspiracy anti-vax so that uh, far right that whole uh, movement one thing that's important to remember on that is that you cannot reason somebody out of a position that they have not been reasoned into uh, and if it is an emotional reaction and not a reasoned reaction uh, no amount of reason so uh um, so the 
odd, you know, kind of reasonable confe- concession to to such a, a a political position, like asking uh, like asking Paul Murphy not to nationalize everything. He hasn't reasoned himself okay. into the position. Sorry, I'm joking. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think that's very stands up. But where I would distinguish and the, the, the you know where I draw the line from somebody perhaps yourself or perhaps not, uh, who has just a political position that I would disagree with and someone who you might uh, label a conspiracy theorist or whatever, is in the case of the conspiracy theorist, there exists no possible scenario which does not prove them right. So to take the, I mean, it's only one example out of many, but to take, for example, the uh, the anti-vax position, uh, there will come out a document from Pfizer or whatever that is in some way tortured into being misrepresented as um, confirming the anti-vax position. And the response to that will be, see, even they're saying that we're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if the document is shown to say the exact reverse, they'll say, see, it just shows how high the conspiracy goes. Right. And the, 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 um, that feature is visible across a whole swathe of, I, I hesitate to say political, but, um, uh, um, you know, cultural political uh, uh, positions. And there is no way, as I say, to, to, so first of all, that's clearly not based in reason. Um, and as we were talking about, uh, with the Shannon, um, when people are making arguments that are, you know, that are clearly not amenable to reason, there's no point in trying to reason with them, but it is possibly worth examining the emotional uh, justification or the, the, the emotional origin of what they're doing. And uh, I don't know if you saw the Channel 4 film which portrayed uh, Dominic Cummings in the, in the, you know, organizing the Leave campaign prior to the Brexit vote in the UK. And they show up with, at, at uh, you know, very Poor places and to, and which hey, quite a clever thing to do. Go and actually see who your voters might be, and they they actually target you know the poorest of places that have extremely low ter- voter turnout, and ultimately successfully the the target there is to is to uh, um, get those people out to vote for the first time and vote on their side. Um, that degree of dis. Uh, disenfranchisement, uh, both um, uh, in voting terms, but I'm thinking more in terms of cultural and uh, educational and economic terms, is where that's coming from. I'm not saying that the people who are leading those movements are doing that, are, are, are disenfranchised in that way, but their strength, their, their numbers rather than their leadership comes from that. And if you look at the, the, you know, the returns from the Brexit uh, referendum, that's very, very clear. One thing that we have in Ireland is we have an absolutely startling level of income redistribution. And I think that's probably cushioning us from that. And uh, talking about various relatively popular Irish podcasts, uh, I know that uh, David McWilliams um, has come up with, and it's good at digging out the statistics, but if you take 
London out of the UK. So if you consider that there's a split in the country and it becomes uh, London being independent and everywhere else in the UK being not London and being a separate country, then that separate country would be poorer than Slovakia. And that is an absolutely shocking thing. And I don't know. Yeah, but I, I you know, I, I, popular I, films. No, I mean, do you, do you remember the, 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 what is a Euro road trip film where the, these American kids end up with uh, like $5 or whatever in, 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 in Bratislava, Slovakia, and, and they says, $5, what the hell are we going to do with $5? And very comically, it cuts to them all sitting in a luxury hotel, getting manicures, being fed food and whatever. And this is what you can get for $5 in Bratislava. Um, uh, and like looking at the, the opioid crisis in the United States, which has exploded since Donald Trump. I mean, it was bad when he came into office. It is catastrophic now. It, it, that opioid crisis alone is responsible for a relatively sharp decline in life expectancy. So think of that. You've got yes. the richest nation on earth and life expectancy is going down and it is going down because of uh, obviously many factors going into, into deaths, but the sole factor, the, you know, the, the factor that is large enough to swing that away from what you would think would be economic and social progress towards life expectancy going down is just the availability of uh, and, and the, the uh, enormous use of uh, very, very powerful opioids. Fent um, fentanyl, fentanyl, mainly. Fentanyl, fentanyl is, is the current current one and uh, is, is incredibly dangerous and uh, is just killing huge numbers of people. And people don't kill themselves, be it, you know, consciously or unconsciously like that, where they have hope. And um, perhaps I'll say something that, that, that um, uh, pleases you to the extent, uh, to this extent, Catholic education was relatively good in Ireland in that, not completely and with huge flaws and huge other problems with it, but it essentially taught a wide bulk of people that you can do what you want. Uh, and uh, Don O'Malley has brought in uh, free secondary education, and you can get that no matter who you are. And I lived in the UK for a while, and there was uh, a, a comment in a particular context that I heard that just floored me, and it wasn't said to me, and I was kind of overheard, and I'm not going to go into the exact context, but the, the, um, the comment was from a parent to their teenage child, and the comment was, you don't want to go off university getting ideas, go on up to, and named a local factory, which is long since closed, go on up there, you'll get a job and you'll be grand. And, and the thought of, you know, you don't want to go off to university getting ideas was a, you know, a kind of a cultural defense of, of uh, um, being working class. But the, th I, I, you know, I think no one in Ireland could ever imagine that a parent would say that to their child in Ireland. Um, and well, right now, I, I think it would still be, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, clearly if, if that's something to happen, it's not, not a good thing, but, well, but I, I'm, I'm I mean, say the, the, the saying is, the saying is it's no burden, you know, yeah. uh, and that's that, you know, and we have many, many people whose parents only 
completed primary school who send their kids to university. So in one one generation, you're jumping up two levels of education on occasion. Uh, um, And, uh, you know, Britain then is ruled by... I'm going to stop you. Go on, John. Stop me there. No, it's just that you've covered an awful lot of ground there. An awful lot of ground. I think there's a lot you said that I agree with. Like I said, that I, I, I wouldn't agree with so much. Um, but I'm going to pick up on on the point you made about sort of social mobility in Ireland, and um, I mean, we started off with this about immigration and working class communities. Because I, I think there there is social mobility in Ireland, and there is in that a lot of these communities. Um, I don't think it's as present as you would think it is. Um, oh, you know, it's it's not enough, but um, it is it is just greater than in, for example, Britain, uh, for example, uh, the United States, and that and the fact that it is greater is protective of um, a, a serious um, social uh, social exclusion. Yeah, but I think there's another problem, to, which is like, I, I, I think when you have too much social mobility, you end up with elite overproduction which is what we have now, which is where we have an entire superstructure in society of lots of people with, with degrees that, that are not making the income that they thought they were going to get when they went into their degree um, mm-hmm. and find themselves in a position of relative discontent working in jobs like uh, drumroll journalism, like what I work yeah. in, um, where the incomes aren't anywhere near what they'd expect to have received on a third level education, mm-hmm. can't rent places in Dublin, and we are producing um, a kind of middle class underclass uh, of younger people. Sarah, do you have any uh, views on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, like I grew up in a family where I didn't barely knew you were allowed not go to college. You know, there was very, very uh, huge expectation that you went to college and did something. But I also had a lot of friends that I grew up with who did trades, um, boys, men, who did uh, different types of trades. And I remember at the time that there was this kind of snobbery about these trades. And to be honest, like a lot of the people that I went to college with now are earning half of what the guys who did the trades did. Mm-hmm. Like we the, we were snobby about trades and tra- a trade is a wonderful thing to do if you're so inclined. And these guys went to Australia. They made loads of money. They worked in Australia for five or six years. They came back with their superannuation, lump sums of cash. They had down payments for houses. And the guys who went to college and did things like journalism, whatever, are pretty bitter, some of them, because they don't, aren't earning anywhere near that kind of money. They also, so they, I think, they also, sorry, they also didn't have the five years in Australia surfing on Bondi Beach with hot Australian girls. Yeah, they yeah, said had five, five years filing, <laughs> pa- file, filing papers in as a junior uh, working 13 hours a day in some law firm in Dublin in the hope that someday they might be made an associate. That's that's uh, uh, So, like, there's a quality of life issue there as well, I would argue. Sorry, Sarah. Yeah, so I think that there's, like, there's definitely, uh, you know, uh, like, I have three kids. I'm not you know, if they wanted to do something in particular in university or whatever, yeah, I don't think that the output um, from universities, from what I could see, is selling itself as much as it used to. I think that universities in Ireland are extremely um, biased. I think that a lot of the people who are coming out of universities at 21, 22 years of age that I've seen um, aren't, um, haven't had anybody disagree with them yet uh, in their lives. Um, I, I'm not overwhelmed. I went to the, I attended the King's Inns last year to become a barrister, and you know there was a mixture of ages, but there was you know a lot of people who had really 
shockingly limited views of the world and a, an inability to um, accept any different viewpoint. And I think that the universities are cultivating that. So uh, hopefully things change, but I'm not sure on, you know, going and doing arts in UCD has the same value today as it used to be used to. Um, I don't think it's I don't think it's something that I would be encouraging my kids to do unless I thought that they, you know, had a plan or had the ability to think for themselves already, because they're certainly not learning it in UCD these days. Yeah, I, I want to say so I want to challenge William on something else he said, because because uh, this all I if I have an overarching theory of sort of politics in the modern age in, in sort of the broad Western world, it is that a lot of our problems are caused not by the left per se, that would be too easy, but by the the shift in the political makeup of our society. In that I would argue that the very things that William that you're talking about there, sort of social mobility, increased access to education, the the emergence of a, a, a large cohort of graduates, has led to the political left, which used to be a movement of sort of the trade unions, the working classes, motivated towards the overarching goal of economic equality and economic uh, redistribution. That, that was the purpose of it from Karl Marx first took a pen to the mm -hmm. end of the last um, the, the, the last pre-New Labour government in Britain in 1979, um, or the, the last democratic administration for Bill Clinton. What we've seen with the advance of education is sort of the, the left changing who it represents from being the working classes to being this sort of... Um, academically qualified, professional, soft, white-collar, liberal group in society. And that has led to situations like the one you specified of Dominic Cummings going into working-class communities like in Workington in the UK mm -hmm. and saying, um, come out and vote for this because the people who said they represented you for 50 years don't represent you anymore. And whether mm -hmm. you agree with, with how they voted or whether you think they were wrong to vote in a particular way, the basic message that the parties of the left no longer represent you is, I think, indisputably accurate because these people, I mean, they basically what's happened is that there has been a section of society that's been given a welfare check and told, well, you can't complain. Look, we're looking after you and and everything else, um, you know, get with the program. Um, and I think I think in the US, I'll finish this, but I think in the US, for yeah. example, you see over the last number of years, Hispanic voters, for example, who used to be a massive, um, huge block, for the Democratic Party, they are increasingly, not fully yet, but the Republicans are now, Donald Trump, which no one thought he'd do, won something like 46% of the Hispanic voting places over the issue of immigration. Um, because they found that suddenly their cultural values were out of step with the Democratic Party. They were concerned about things like people coming in, taking their jobs. Um, I, I think that the, the, the left, and I'm not saying you're their representative or you need to answer for them, I think they have a lot to answer for, for the very problems that you're, you're, you're talking about. So, so who represents the working class better? I, I don't, I don't know, but I think you're, what you're seeing happen across Europe, for example, is that m many of them in France, for example, voted for Marine Le Pen at the last election. Um, yeah. in, in huge ways. Um, Georgia Maloney. But they in Italy, might as well, and, and they might as well have a go. Like with Trump, I remember when Trump was running for election, I distinctly remember seeing this, this. Uh, fact somewhere that was that 40% of the American workforce hadn't had a pay rise in 20 years. Uh -huh. And so why wouldn't you give the crazy orange guy a go when you've been screwed over by successive pre uh, Democratic presidents? Why wouldn't you give it a go? And Sarah, is that the, emo the emotional reaction or the rational reaction? I think it's, I mean, I, th I don't think it's 
it's obviously very emotional, but I don't think it's entirely irrational to give a completely different option a go because the other option hasn't worked for you. Um, it, but as it turned out, that other option, for example, uh, spent vast sums on tax breaks that uh, benefited the top 1% of earners. Uh, it's like eye-watering amounts, debts that will last for hundreds of years uh, in the United States spent on that uh, and did everything they could, for example, to roll back Obamacare, the, the um, uh, attempt at a part, you know, a, a part socialization of uh, medicine, which is truly horrendous, that you have a large number of people dying every year because they cannot afford the insulin that ne they need to keep them alive. The Biden administration, which I am no particular fan of, but I think they are, there is a, a you, you know, they are an entirely step change different from Trump, um, brought in a limit on the price of, uh, of, of insulin. I am generally not uh, in favor of, uh, you know, legal price limits. I don't think they work very well, but the, you know, this is like something that costs a trivial amount of money, like literally pocket change, uh, yeah. um, being charged hundreds and hundreds of dollars per month for, uh, and the Biden administration, I think, limited the price to, to $35. That move was fought tooth and nail by uh, Trump and his allies. Yeah, I, I, can I just say, can and, I say you're and, right? And, you know, I, 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 I would 100% agree that the quality of both the thinking, though, like the thought process and the quality of the, of the, of the execution uh, on the left has been frequently appalling. But that is not in the same plane. It's not on the same plane as the you know, the degree of essentially attack on, and not just working class, as we would describe it, as the enormously broad swathe, middle 80% of the population, where you just have huge costs being imposed on people, 40%, 4-0, of the American working population would not be able to cope with an unexpected $400 expense. And you have literally piles of money that would make Croesus embarrassed being piled up in places like the, 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 the Cayman Islands and billionaires who buy Twitter for, essentially for their own amusement. And, you know, if you think what 40, a $400 Expense that somebody couldn't that 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 forty four zero forty percent of American households could not afford. A lot of people are doing that. There is what is called at will employment in a, a large number of U.S. states, mostly in the South. So at will employment basically means you can be fired with no notice for any reason or no reason at any time. And for that reason, a, a, a quite a large number of people, for example, work customer service jobs from their own laptop on their own uh, internet connection in their in their basement or their back bedroom. So four hundred dollars is a drop is one dropped laptop, which could literally puts people spiraling into 
debt and literally destitution. And the, the and and you know I, um, so if 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 you're coming along saying um, people on the left have uh, been misguided and inadequate, absolutely. But but you know if you're but this sort of thing of Asher give the other guy a go, that's that's to me dangerous nonsense because of just. Uh, you know, it, it is the difference of somebody trying and failing to adequately provide for society, and but that's, but somebody that's, hold up, hold making up. an in, enormous strides in the other direction to cut the legs out from under society. Sarah, but that's but that's not what I was saying. What I was saying mm. was I'm talking about why people voted a certain way. Sure. And yeah, I accept. I agree with you 100 percent on why. Like, yeah, there's no point. Like the, the 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 what happened as a result, and I'm not even a fan of Trump. It's nothing to do with that. It's the same as Brexit has turned out to be a mistake. But why yeah. do people vote a certain way? People vote a certain way because they feel like we. If you look at Ireland now, this is exactly what's happening right now. If you make people feel like they're in to use the word at the time in America was deplorable people and you make them and you call them names and you don't listen to them yeah except that was a fantasy that never happened well whatever but like I'm what I'm saying is that in Ireland right now you there's working class communities that are told that they're racist they're called names they have housing housing no no hold on yeah no 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 you're throwing at this give 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 me an example of what Of, of a working class community that was told it was racist the sandwich quote me the quote me the words well, the Sandwich Street burning down the immigration thing a few weeks ago. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty racist thing to do. Is that untrue? But, but no, hold, 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 hold on a second. No, 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 let's be let's be quite clear here. I mean, absolutely, yeah, yeah, no, no, but, 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 have been called racist for protesting. They've been called. I mean, first of all, in terms of calling people racist, can we agree? All three <laughs> of us, I presume, we would agree that when you call somebody far right, you are implying implicitly that they um, hold racially supremacist attitudes. That, that is the universally accepted definition for the following. Yeah, right? yeah, but, but, you know, but we, John, we have to step back a bit. John, we have to step back a bit because there's these lines thrown out. I, I agree with you, by the way. Yes, I agree with you on, on what you're saying. But step back a bit because there's these lines thrown out. And I think, Sarah, you might be a little bit guilty of it, of saying, oh, they are calling people deplorables or they are uh, um, uh, um, treating people, uh, you know, as, as John said, calling people um, r- residents in, in uh, East Wall racist. Um, so you don't, you don't, you, like, okay. I, no, no I'm, I'm looking for the, no, because it's quite interesting because okay. you use the line of deplorables, which well, was let me flat out lie. Hillary Clinton called neo-Nazis, a group of neo-Nazis, deplorable. Yeah. And the American Fox News and, and uh, Trump and his allies purposely, deliberately, consciously misquoted her to imply that she was uh, that she had insulted potential Trump voters when that wasn't what was said, wow. and it, it crops up very frequently. No, she 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 was. It is absolutely plain from from the from the clip which I've heard many times. It is absolutely plain that she is referring to. Uh, neo-Nazis who were demonstrating in 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 support of Trump. And no, no, and no, because the, po- the no, point is, propaganda is that... You've made your point, and you've made it very yes, clear. There are and we, 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 
we, we get it. Those alleged but, insults uh, are mythically, frequently, not always, but mythically aggrandized by the people who want them to exist. There are many examples of which makes it surprising that you would quote, quote fictional examples. Well, hold on a second. Um, there, are, uh, to be fair, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to white knight you here, Sarah, for a second, but because in fairness, Sarah was citing a, a very commonly, whether it's inaccurate, accurate, whatever it is, and you've made your point very strongly that you, you feel that Hillary Clinton was misquoted. But no, it's not it's a feeling. It's, it's, it's that, no, and, and you know, sorry, uh, sorry. Uh, to, to quote someone else, facts don't care, care about your feelings. Yeah. That it's just factually wrong, yes. and that's different to a feeling. Yeah, but William, let's be, let's the, the, quibble with my phrasing, if you want. The, the, yeah. You've made your point that Hillary Clinton was, mis, was, was misquoted. However, there are innumerable examples on late-night American television, you don't have to... YouTube of, of 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 the stereotypes of putting um Trump and by the way I want to say for the record I'm not only not Trump fan I loathe the yeah. guy I, I hope he's not re-elected um I think the Republicans aren't stupid enough to nominate him again but there are lots of examples of people um being put in red MAGA hats being portrayed like as as bumpkins or fools or idiots or thesises from The Simpsons that is mm -hmm. it, it is an indisputable trope. Uh, one of the points I was going to make to you is that, uh, you know, talking about Brexit, for example, you will never find a more white, middle-class, well-off group in the whole world, I would argue, than the people yeah. on, on social media campaigning still against Brexit with hashtag FBPE in their hashtags to follow back uh -huh. to your people. Uh -huh. The contempt for Brexit voters drips from them. It's, it's objectively, I mean, the, the phrases like idiots who were duped, um, which even if even if you consider it to be accurate, and as I suspect, uh -huh. as I suspect you do, um, that kind of language is not helpful to anybody. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, um, and I yeah, you get you get nowhere by but you you don't uh, persuade anyone by insulting them. I agree with that absolutely. Uh, um, and I I think the 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 this comes back to what I'm I'm talking about a few minutes ago with the and again not assigning you responsibility for the entirety of the left, no more than I would accept for the entirety of the right. But there is an attitude. Um, of sort of intellectual and moral supremacy, which drips from the left, drips mm -hmm. from us. Um, let, 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 since you can't come up with a concrete example, let me. There was a hoax, to me, a blindingly obvious hoax uh, um, article uh, published on the Irish Times website. It didn't quite make it into print, although if the hoax had not been found out, I suspect it may have made it into print, um, which was saying that uh, Irish women wearing fake tan uh, were uh, essentially being racist. And this was a supposedly, the author was supposedly a recent immigrant uh, from Ecuador to Ireland. Mm -hmm. And so, f first of all, anybody reading that article with zero context, with, you know, nothing at all, just normal human intelligence of Ireland should have spotted that that was a hoax. And the Irish Times didn't, and they presumably have some degree of checking, or, you know, you'd imagine they'd have at least, at least read the damn article, um, it, but, and did not spot it. And there is a song by, I can't remember his name, the streets guy, You Can Never Con an Honest John. And the point of the thing is that the way successful con people, uh, con men make, persuade people to, to swallow a con is that they, they essentially trick the mark, the victim into believing that they are either 
conning the con person or at the very least making some money that they shouldn't be. You, you know, they exploit not just the, the gullibility of the the victim, but also the greed of the victim and, and put them in a position where they think they're getting one up on, on, on someone. And the, you know, they, they exploit the worst in their victim in order to, in order to, to, bypass their critical faculties. And if you read that article, one thing that was to me blindingly obvious was that it was talking about working class Irish people. And they even threw in a reference to pennies, which I, I thought was very clever. Um, uh, so, you know, it, it's it not, not done with a sledgehammer, but relatively subtly telegraphing to the reader that the bad people who are being racist by wearing fake tan, which is insane to begin with, but by telegraphing that they were referring to working class people. Um, and the, if you were just to reverse that and to say, send in an article, an opinion piece to the Irish Times, ostensibly written by a working class Irish person to say that immigrants from uh, South America were morally corrupt. That would never have been printed because it wouldn't have got through the Irish Times filters. And the reason that the article that did get through got through the Irish Times was because the type of person who works in the Irish Times wants to believe it's true. It fits their worldview. And that is why they were conned into believing that because at at least some level, they wanted to be conned. Mm. And it, that's wh where I think I agree with you, and, and there's some level of agreement at least, that there is a, a, a you, that essentially Irish Times writers and Irish Times readers, who I suspect are a largely similar demographic, that it's not people jetting off three times a year on sun holidays, burning up the atmosphere, who are morally suspect. It's the working class woman who puts on fake tan, which they look down their nose at, you know, to go out on a Friday evening and have a couple of pints. That's the person who's morally suspect. And it has always been true that that type of middle class self-regarding um, and concerned with how they appear and particularly concerned with the, the level of education that they appear to have, has always looked down and, to be honest, had a level of contempt for working class people. That's, that's nothing new. That has always been true. And it is true now. And it is true now in a slightly different, but not all that much context. And to that degree, I agree, it, you know, to, to the degree that you can say that that demographic is the left, which I'm not really sure about, but to the degree that it is, um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree. They are contemptuous and the, um, you know, they may have hijacked the political economic left. So we have uh, people before profit and I don't want to, it's not really fair to slam on them. They didn't choose uh, where to go, um, uh, uh, where to get their education and they weren't you know, of age at the time, but it's notable that the two most prominent people in people before profit, um, uh, Richard Boy Barrett and Paul Murphy are privately educated from very well-connected families. Mm -hmm. And I don't doubt their sincerity at all. I don't doubt their good intentions at all, but 
I, um, I, I think that, you know, there is a problem there. And the other problem that I think you might be interested in, in and when I say interested in, it might confirm your worldview to a degree. Um, I think there are opinions that are culturally popular, culturally fashionable. And if you are, if, if you say something which confirms those opinions, it will be exposed to much less inspection and, and much less uh, criticism, and it will be accepted much more readily without being examined terribly carefully. Mm. And um, it is a Marxist view, not that I'm a Marxist, uh, that the dominant ideas in society are the ideas of the dominant class in society. And, you know, it's it's fair to say that there is a degree of fashionableness and um and and uh, fashion and and uh, cultural approval uh, to the point of kind of being proud of some opinions and it is inevitably it, you know that it leads those people people who hold those opinions to a dangerous place where their opinions are not being rigorously tested in a way that less fashionable opinions are being tested. And well, I, that I, I, I always, lead to a weaker, you know, that the, the ideas are weaker because they're not being challenged and uh, adapted and, and uh, responding to robust challenge. Um, and uh, now the leader of the Social Democrats, I had on my own podcast um, before she was leader, um, Holly Cairns, um, and uh, she had, um, I had her on because she had published a press release um, regarding um, what is called the uh, gender pay gap. Um, and uh, I... I took the trouble to read the report that she was basing her press release on. And I challenged her uh, in, uh, to, to the degree that there was quite a bit of information there that didn't really uh, gel with the spin that she was putting on it. And she, her, her response to me was to say that uh, when I quoted the, fa the, the, the figures, the facts and figures, she said, oh, well, I haven't seen a, a report, you know, any report that said that, and I had to say, no, hang on a second. Yes, you have, because that's the, that's the one that you reference in your yeah. in your press release. So th you know that that was obviously done with a relatively, you know, from an intellectual point of view, not a you know that that wasn't a, 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 a very quality move to say the very least. And uh, yeah, that's absolutely always a danger. And to the degree that I think what you would call left wing politics uh, in Ireland. Uh, you know, have that level of social cachet or that, you know, fashionableness or whatever, they, they for sure um, uh, uh, suffer from that. I would maybe suggest gently to you that if you were to look at a particular um, previous era, um, well, you don't need to suggest yeah, ideas, you know, of, <laughs> of uh, social, um, you know, of essentially a theocracy were not at all challenged. And we had a society that was, that was very damaged indeed by very bad behavior. Go on then, I won't monopolize anymore. 
I, I, you don't need to convince me that in the past, uh, Ireland had a very stilted environment for debate, mm-hmm. and that a lot of people, Fintan O'Toole often talks about how he came to uh, prominence as a journalist in the early 80s when he felt uh, that he was in the absolute minority in the country and shouting into the wind, and he is correct. He was. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no doubt about that, and I think the analysis about the the dominant group in society um, dominating ideas and becoming intellectually lazy over time is an accurate one. Um, I think mm-hmm. conservatives in Ireland learned those lessons the hard way, and I wonder... I'm not sure they've learned the lessons. Um, that's a whole other discussion for which we don't really have time, and I want to give Sarah the last word because she's <laughs> the least on the podcast before we go. <laughs> If she wants the last word. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll take the last word. Just to go back to what we were talking about earlier on, like, I think that people who protested in the inner city against immigration were called racist on by multiple people, including on the floor of the Shannon. So I think that there's absolutely no doubt about it that that happened. The Hillary Clinton quote, well, fine, whatever, that like, that might be incorrect, but Irish people who protested against immigration in their area were called racist by multiple people in the media and on the Shannon floor. Um, it's also true, and I think it's important to, 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 to state this, it is also true that not only were they called uh, racist and far-right, but there was a persistent denial that they were real people. There was a persistent argument that they were not, in fact, locals at all, but, oh, yeah. um, but, but sort of activists for the National Party and the Irish Freedom Party and whatever you're having yourself party who are coming into these areas to stir up trouble. And I can tell you, hand on heart, because I talked to some of these people, I interviewed some of these people, I spoke, bullshit, absolute bullshit. And, and it goes back to what William was saying. Um, I can't let William back in because we're out of time, but, so I don't, want to, I don't want to misquote him, but uh, I'll just say what I, what I think in that respect. It, it, I think there's an echo in what William's saying about a kind of what I perceive to be, he might disagree, but in places, an intellectual arrogance and an almost unwillingness to believe that people could think these things, which I think has infected the body politic, and which I think in the long term, and I, I take everything William said, and I think it's been great to have somebody on who's challenged us so robustly yeah. on this stuff, by yeah. the way. Um, yeah. But yeah. I, I think there's a lot of truth in what he said, and I think there's a lot of, a lot of things that people who are don't share those views can, can improve on themselves in terms of their communication skills and the way they talk about issues. I don't dispute that at all whatsoever. Anyway, it's been a long uh, hour, more than an hour, but it's been an engaging discussion. Um, and I want to thank William for coming on because he'd come on, he's disagreed with us. Um, I'm sure he's driven some of you who are regular listeners crazy, but you know what? That's, the, that's, that's good because in a democracy, and we talked about democracy and Ireland being a democracy at the start, there is nothing more important than listening to intelligent people who disagree with you fundamentally? That is the that that there's nothing more important in my humble view that you can do, um, because yeah. if your views can't survive being challenged, if you can't listen to somebody tell you fundamentally why they believe that you're wrong, and listen to them respectfully and come away having respect for their views and why they hold them while still maybe disagreeing or maybe having your mind changed, then you need to learn that skill. It's so important. Um, and one of the things I think that happens in society very often, sorry, this is turning into a monologue, but I didn't mean it to do, is that um, we, we, we exist in echo chambers, on the right, on the left, um, everywhere. And I think that needs to stop. So William, from the bottom of my heart, thanks for coming on. I always enjoy my appearances on your podcast. I hope you enjoy mm-hmm. this. Um, Absolutely. Williams, uh, for, for those who want to listen to more, it's the Here's How podcast, as I mentioned at the start. Search for Here's How Ireland on Google. It's also available anywhere 
you get your podcasts and episodes are out on Thursday. This, as you know, it, we also have a new episode every Friday. But until next Friday, that, my friends, was the week that really was. Thanks and goodbye. <laughs>